You're about to listen to the Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders and for coders about all aspects of life as a developer. I'm Will, the curmudgeonly experienced developer. And I'm Beach, the optimistic newbie developer. All right, Will, what's been going on with you? Well, I'm uh, back to working on a side project after a pretty long hiatus, about a month and a half, I guess. It's in the agricultural space. It's pretty interesting. You can check out our marketing site at Agulus. That's A-G-U-L-U-S dot com. It's kind of a trading platform for commodities. We're, we're slowly uh, getting all the pieces together. Yeah, hey, uh, how's Matt doing? I haven't talked to him in a while. He's doing good. He had a, had a very long honeymoon. Awesome. Well, it, was, it, it got cut short by three and a half weeks, but... You know, still over a month, so you know that says it went pretty well. So anyway, that was that was the reason to kind of kind of fizzled out a little bit. Oh, it's still really nice. I only got a week. Yeah, same here. Also, uh, speaking of honeymoons, when this episode airs, it will be my tenth wedding anniversary. So that's of course we we record ahead of time, so we're a little bit a little bit ahead of that at the moment. So that's uh, that's what's going on with me. What's going on with you? Well, I want to start off by saying happy birthday, Addie. Today, the day that this posts, is my niece's fifth birthday. Happy birthday, Addie. Enjoy your website. Recently, I've been playing around with a lot of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Pretty much building a a small website for my niece's birthday for her to kind of enjoy. Flash is her name. Then I put a little JavaScript game in there, too, for her to play with. Nice. So what's what's it look like? It looks like a 13-year-old girl would have made it in the 90s, to be honest with you. <laughs> Actually, I put it up on my uh, my GitHub repo, and uh, that was one of the comments I made about it. I'm like, look, this is for a 5-year-old, and it looks like it was made in the 90s by a 13-year-old girl. <laughs> I messed up my account on Azure uh, trying to delete a resource group. <laughs> I accidentally deleted my entire subscription. <laughs> uh, that caused some headache for a few days. Uh, finally got it back up and running. Also, by the time this airs, the uh, JavaScript 13K games competition will have finished. Uh, as of the recording, I'm still working on my submission. Uh, i got another week to finish it out. Uh, that and the uh, only other thing i got going on really is I'm moving my blog from uh, a blogger account over to my WordPress site. was doing that when I deleted the wrong thing on Azure, and so had to start all over there. So you're hosting WordPress on Azure? Yes. Or Azure. I don't know, whatever you call it. It sounds prettier when you say Azure. Yeah. It sounds vaguely French or something. I don't know. It's not really French. It sounds... Je ne parle français un peu. Okay. (laughs) I took three years of French in high school. I'm sorry. All right. So guys, this episode, we are starting a series on special health concerns for programmers. We're going to start talking about physical health, then we'll have one on social health, mental health, and we'll finish up with financial health. Yeah, it should be some pretty good stuff. Just a lot of things that I've observed, Beej has observed, and random people who have very good search ratings on Google have observed. (laughs) Uh, There'll be a lot of links in those show notes. Yeah. All right, let's uh, play that wonderful music. Play the crappy music, white boy.
All right, Will, you're really going to enjoy the IOTs I've got for us this week. Continuing with the theme of projects and things like that that you can do in IOT, I think you'll really enjoy this one. I uh, just sent you the link. This is this is really cool, and especially since I can see your beer fridge from right here, where you uh, keep your beer and some of the wine that you make. It is the Beer and Wine Fridge of Awesomeness. And this can be found at raspberrypie.org. Under the blogs, it's listed as Beer and Wine Fridge of Awesomeness. It's really awesome, hence the name Awesomeness. It was designed by Jamie Bailey from Initial State. And Initial State, I'm going to eventually do an episode about them. They are an Internet of Things data solutions company. And they have a lot of really cool stuff on their website. This in particular, it's pretty much all the parts. It lists out all the parts you'll need, the diagrams and plans, plus a link to the GitHub repo that has the code, which is written in Python. Uh, it has links for everything, but it doesn't have the prices, so I kind of put it all together. If you don't already have a refrigerator, which of course that's the most expensive part, it's about $600 for the whole thing, which is kind of expensive, but then again, you are also buying a $400 refrigerator for it. If you don't have the fridge, it's about $200. So if you do have the fridge, it's about $200. Oh, if you do, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. If you do have the fridge, it's about $200. Most of that goes towards two of the parts that are really the most expensive. The Raspberry Pi in the uh, Canna Kit Pi 2 Ultimate Starter Kit. That's about $100. It also lists out the specs and what parts of the kit you're going to need. I looked those up on Amazon and that's roughly $75. Really, you're going to save money by buying the full kit because you'll get a lot more than just those parts. So what can it do for you? It sits on a Wii balance board so it can tell you when something is removed. It has a temperature sensor. It can keep track of the temperature in the cooler and it has a sensor on the door to tell you when the door is opened. So that way, if you, uh, according to the site, you'll be able to tell when your 17-year-old nephew tries to steal one of your beers. That's handy. I do like that it's a Wii sensor because, you know, I usually get my Wii sensor activated when I drink a lot of beer. So that's, that's good to know. Well, the, the Wii balance board is $50 on Amazon. And I looked up some Bluetooth-enabled scales. Those are 30 to $40, so you... Might save a little bit of money, but all the specs are for how to connect the Wii board. You'll spend more time trying to figure that out. The other things you'll need are Bluetooth adapter, waterproof digital temperature sensor, magnetic contact switch to tell when the door opens and closes, felt pads, and then the most expensive part would be a $400 refrigerator. If you already have one of those, it's not that bad. If you already have a Raspberry Pi that you're not using, then the parts are a lot less expensive. Nice. That's pretty cool. I think that'd be, you know, more than anything, that's a great example of some things that you can do with Raspberry Pi and some of these other lightweight boards. The blog on raspberrypi.com, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes, it's got a lot of different projects that you can do. This is just one of them. Uh, I'm picking out a few for uh, different episodes of IOTs. In this episode of the Complete Developer Podcast, we're going to discuss health issues related to software developers and the software development community. BJ will be doing most of the talking this time because he's had some med school and I've not. 
I'll uh, be periodically chiming in as useful, but mostly I will not be chiming in. Having some med school, is that like, you know, having some whiskey? Or... <laughs> Being sort of pregnant? Yeah. No, just for, for background purposes, in case you haven't, uh, haven't had a chance to listen to episode zero, I uh, spent about three years in med school. I finished my first two years, took some time off, only to realize I didn't want to be a doctor. Long story short, that's what led to me getting into coding again and doing this podcast. To start off, we will talk about diabetes and obesity some health concerns around that. Some of the things that lead to obesity, which leads to diabetes, type 2 specifically, is a sedentary lifestyle. As developers, we tend to sit in front of a computer for 8 to 10 hours a day at work, and then... Just 8 to 10, huh? At work. (laughs) Those of us that really enjoy it go home and spend another 5 or 6 hours in front of the computer, if not more. We tend to lead a sedentary lifestyle sitting around most of the day. We also have a bad habit of eating very poorly. I know my soda consumption went up drastically when I got back doing this. It's actually a pretty common problem. I've noted that unless I'm really paying attention to it, I will frequently get several cans of Mountain Dew or Red Bull or both um, in a day. It's definitely been a problem for most developers, I think, at some point. I know I'm a big fan of the Monster Energy drinks. I got into those in med school, and still not very healthy to take in that much caffeine. So I guess, do you want to explain what happens or what the uh, causes of type 2 diabetes are, or like what the progression of the disease is? Sure, sure, we can go on into that. So, like I was saying, we have a sedentary lifestyle, we eat poorly, and a lot of us don't get enough exercise. That's true across the board, not just with developers, but type 2 diabetes uh, comes from an overuse of the uh, cells in the pancreas that create insulin. Those are the beta islet cells. What happens is the body overproduces insulin to deal with the increased sugar that's in the blood, and you start to develop a tolerance. Most of the type 2 diabetes medicines, specifically address that concern and help the metabolism. They act to help the insulin metabolize sugar. So can you talk a bit about what the purpose of insulin is Okay. metabolically? Insulin is a hormone released by your pancreas in response to chemoreceptors in your blood vessels that tell it there's too much glucose or sugar in your blood. Uh, what it does is it is a messenger And it goes and then tells the liver and your muscles to start absorbing sugar. And the thing about type 2 diabetes is this is the type that is very much unavoidable. There is some genetic predisposition here, but this is something that with lifestyle changes can be avoided. So you meant avoidable earlier. You said unavoidable. Oh, yes. (laughs) It's all right. (laughs) You know, as opposed to type 1 diabetes, which is frequently not avoidable because of viral activity and those sort of things. Uh, it can be viral. It's, uh, type 1 diabetes is completely different from type 2. What other concerns happen when someone does get become diabetic? Some of the major concerns have to do with the neuropathy. The blood going to the ends of the neurons kind of gets slow and sludgy because of all the sugar in it and that can cause them to die off. 
which leads to problems where you have blood vessels either furthest away from your heart, which is you know, the main engine that pumps the blood out, or where they get very small. That could be in your eyes. So a lot of times people with diabetes have vision issues. And then that can also be in your extremities, primarily the feet, because they are the furthest away from the heart. My mother is a nurse at a foot clinic, and the majority of her patients are diabetic, and they come in for foot care because the nerves die off at the bottoms of their feet, and they can't feel pains and ulcers developing down there. There's also a lot of vascular concerns. Like I said, the neuropathy has to do with the sludginess of the blood coming to the nerves. It increases your risk for almost every other health issue out there, especially cardiac issues. Well, I don't, I don't guess it's entirely new to anybody, but it's, it is pretty frightening when you put it all down like that. We see diabetes pretty commonly in this community just because of the way that people tend to conduct themselves. You know, the long hours, the lack of uh, appropriate exercise, easy access to junk food. This is kind of a fairly critical health problem uh, sweeping through the community. And it really is sweeping all over America you know, in general and I guess the entire Western world at this point because we've exported American dietary habits to a whole lot of other places rather successfully. So in addition to that, you know, what's another problem that we tend to see? Well, one thing that really comes to mind after the obesity diabetes would be back and neck issues. This is an area of interest for a lot of people. A lot of people have sore necks and sore backs, not just in the developer community, but it tends to be a big issue because of sitting and mostly our posture. Leaning over, working on a computer creates poor posture. And I've actually been able to get a few tips on how to adjust your posture, things you can do in the office that will help you and I'll include a link to this in the show notes. It's from spinehealth.com. And these are ways to adjust your work environment to better your posture. The first thing is having your screen sitting at eye level. The top one-third of your screen should be in line with your eyes. Sitting here right now at Will's desk, I am not doing this because my laptop is just below my eye level. At home, I have this set up to where my eyes are right at that one-third of the screen. The next issue has to do with where you set your keyboard. Your forearms should be parallel with the floor. This helps to reduce strain on the muscles in your arms as well as in the muscles in your back. And I'll get into that a little bit more later on. Your elbows should be at your side, not flared out. That reduces the strain on muscles in your back. If you think of muscles like a pulley system, the muscles that lift your arm are not in your arm, they're in your back, pulling on the bones of your arm to lift it up. Makes sense. And I guess that also makes sense why the position of your head when you're looking at the screen can hurt your back as well, because your head is pretty freaking heavy. Now, let's say you were holding a 10-pound weight stretched out you know, all day. I could see how that could put a pretty significant strain on on all the uh, infrastructure, I guess, going up and down the back. Exactly. Uh, there's a, a concept that we learn about in school called tensegrity. It's also in physics as well, but it's the idea that the body is all connected through the skeletal and muscular system. So 
where you place your arms can affect your back and your hips by putting strain on those muscles. Makes which sense. leads to the next two points. Your feet should be flat on the floor with your thighs parallel to the floor. You don't want your feet up leaning back or you don't want your chair too high to where your feet don't touch the floor. I frequently find problems with chair height because to get it where you can go where the chair goes under the desk it's so low to the ground that I can't get my thighs parallel to the floor so I have to actually adjust quite a bit. I've got a foot rest under the desk and it, it seems like it takes forever to get my chair set up exactly like I want it anywhere that I go. I think, honestly, one of the best ways to irritate another developer, just as an aside, is slightly adjust their chair. The chair that I'm sitting in here is very similar to the chairs we had in med school in the classroom. They're very nice chairs. So anyway, so we've discussed office chairs, and you were talking about a lot of upper back things um, that were going on. Do you have any more suggestions on the, the postural? Not so much on the posture as much as getting up and moving around. And this will come up a couple of times throughout this episode where just getting up and walking around helps to relieve a lot of the strain that you're putting on your body. Another one, uh, we talked about setting comfortable heights. Some other things to do with the chair are not just the seat height, but also the seat width and depth, as well as lumbar support, basically low back support. Can you circle back around to the uh, seat width and depth a little bit? I mean, what what do you mean by that? Your seat should be wide enough and deep enough to support your frame comfortably. According to SpineHealth.com, usually 17 to 20 inches wide is the standard. The depth from front to back of the seat needs to be enough so that uh, you're sitting with your back against the backrest while leaving approximately two to four inches between the back of the knees and the seat of the chair. You don't want your knees right on the edge of the chair, so that's going to cut off circulation to your legs. And with the lumbar support, you want sort of an inward curve if you're going to be sitting for long periods of time. The spine, a lot of people tend to think of it as just a straight string of bones, but it's not. It's more of a curvature, kind of an S-curve. You want to support that curve because if you don't have that there, the pressure is put on your muscles in the low back to maintain that curve. Another thing that people don't think about but can be very important is the material the seat's made out of, especially the padding. It needs to be enough padding to be comfortable, but not so much that it engulfs you because that can cause lack of circulation. Or you just fall asleep in the office. There's that problem, too. That's true. Also, having a cloth fabric that breathes is preferable to harder surfaces, because, well, I don't know about you, but I have leather in my truck, and uh, in the summer I deal with a lot of sweat. Yeah, you stick to the seat. Some things that you can do to help prevent back pain, or if you do have it, to relieve some of it, mainly are stretches, and I'm not going to go into the details of specific stretches, but I will post some links in the show notes to stretches you can do at the desk in your office, and that'll be on WebMD. On SpineHealth.com, there are some chair stretches that you don't even have to get out of your chair to do that can help with your low back and upper back. Okay. 
There's a lot of stuff there on uh, back and neck issues. Another thing I, I think that frequently comes up is uh, repetitive strain injuries. I know I've had experience with that. I had some uh, carpal tunnel symptoms that showed up for me last fall when I was working at a contract where they didn't care about ergonomics. We had desks that kind of had a very sharp edge to them, and the way we were having to sit was actually pressing into the bottom of the wrist. And we are also working about 70 to 75 hours a week at best. And so you can imagine it didn't take very long before I started having significant pain in my hands. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about repetitive strain injuries. Sure. Like you mentioned, one of the biggest ones affecting our community is carpal tunnel syndrome. So let's start off with what is carpal tunnel syndrome? I guess the best way to, to describe it would start off anatomically. The bones in your wrist are called the carpal bones, and there are ligaments connecting the bones to each other. On the radial side or the thumb side, they create a tunnel that the nerves and blood vessels flow through to get to the bones, skin, muscles, and nerves of your hand. What happens is, with strain on that area, especially moving those around, remember I said your your muscles are like pulleys, so the muscles that move your hand are in your forearm. Okay, so how, how do you avoid carpal tunnel? That's a good question. It goes back a lot to the ergonomics. When I was talking about the tensegrity model, if you think about having your hands out all day and having to hold them up, that's going to affect the muscles in your back that are holding your arms up. That's going to cause tension there that goes down your arms and ultimately leads to swelling. So having that good, ergonomic, relaxed position is going to help a lot. Other things that you can do, they have special keyboards specifically to help with that, uh, as well as padding for the wrists. There's also several stretches that you can do, which is kind of funny because some of those stretches are related to the tests that doctors do to determine if the pain or numbness is caused by carpal tunnel. But what it is, is you're stretching that out. When you have flare-ups, one of the, the main ways to treat it is with anti-inflammatories. NSAIDs, um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. That would be things like ibuprofen or naproxen sodium, those types of things, Aleve and Advil. What you want to avoid is acetaminophen or Tylenol because while that will help with the pain, it won't reduce the swelling. It's not an anti-inflammatory. It's just an analgesic. The nerves are going through that tunnel. If there's swelling, then that's going to pinch that nerve and cause the pain in the first place, right? Yes. Usually it's pain, but the biggest symptom that I've seen and that most people have is numbness and tingling. Yeah, that's what it, it did to me, although I did have a significant amount of pain, especially towards the end of the work week when it was you know getting up in the 60, 70 hour range. It really started hurting. It was getting to the point where I couldn't grab the steering wheel with my left hand, couldn't make a closed fist without significant pain. Um, and I solved the problem by uh, simply not being employed there anymore. <laughs> that is one solution. Another one would be to take regular breaks to stretch your wrists out, taking your wrist and pushing down on it. It's kind of hard to see on you know podcast what he's doing. He's basically like he's got his palm towards the floor and he's grabbing the top of his hand and twisting it 
around. It's, it's almost, if you're familiar with martial arts, a lot of these stretches are very similar to positions that would constitute a wrist lock of some sort. That's essentially what you're doing. You're overstretching what this set of stretches is. And I think you're going to find some stretches and put them in the show notes. Soon. Yes, yes. Uh, some from both WebMD and AOA.org. AOA is the American Osteopathic Association. So another thing, another widespread problem in this industry tends to be vision problems. You know, we're not exactly built to stare at a bright white screen or stare at a screen period, especially for hours and hours a day. Can you talk a little bit around what sort of problems tend to come out of vision issues related to computing? Yes, there's actually a specific syndrome called the computer vision syndrome. And I'll kind of go into some of the symptoms involved in that. Those would be eye strain. That's where it's difficult to focus, especially on nearsighted things. Our eyes are designed for distance vision, and the lens contracts to view things closely. So having that screen in front of you, it's putting a lot of strain on the lens all day long to contract. It's very similar to the muscle strains in your neck and shoulder and back area, only it's much smaller muscles in your eye. That can lead to blurred vision, dry eyes, and one important thing that can really mess your workflow up is headaches. I know when I was in med school, all of our books were online. We bought a few textbooks just to have them, mainly for the illustrations. After about a year of school, I started getting sort of migraine or cluster headaches. They'd usually come day or two after a test where I had spent the last 48 hours studying pretty much, getting very little sleep and sitting in front of a computer screen, either reading from a book or reviewing PowerPoint slides from lectures. One thing that does help is being in a dark room without your computer screen on. A lot of times sleeping helps just completely relaxing those muscles. The other issue would be the neck and shoulder pain, which we've already talked about. That's related to the eye strain. I would imagine as well that when you can't see what's on the screen, you tend to shift your posture, and you tend to shift it into something that maybe is not so good for your neck and your back as well. Exactly. That's some of the symptoms of this. Now I want to talk about some of the causes, especially the ones that we can avoid. And I'm getting this from allaboutvision.com. The first one that they mention is poor lighting. So I know I said a dark room. That's more for when you get the headaches. Uh, you're, t- you're talking about sleep lighting or relaxation lighting, not, mm-hmm. not work lighting. Yeah. You want to position your computer screen to avoid glare. That's a big problem on digital screens. We have anti-glare screens now and anti-glare screen covers I've even seen for older monitors. The other issue is improper viewing distance. Like I said, there's the viewing position where you want to have your eyes level to the top third of the screen, but you also don't want the screen too close or too far away. Is that just due to the size of the text and items that you're looking at on screen, or is that due to you know the, the amount of light coming off of it, or what's the concern there? Really a little bit of both. You want to adjust the brightness of the display so that it is approximate to the same as those in the setting around you. So if you're in a darker workspace, you want a darker screen. 
if you're in a brighter workspace, you want a brighter screen. So it sounds like you just want to be able to see it well, and you can kind of eyeball it, right? Yes. Are there actual guidelines somewhere for this? Not any specific guidelines that I have found or learned about in school. The main things are you want to minimize the glare. You want your screen close enough to where you're not straining to see it, but not so close that it's overbearing your eyes. Having a newer, specifically LCD, display helps as well. Um, what about other vision problems? Do those kind of contribute to computer vision syndrome as well? Yes, that's, that's a good question. Uncorrected vision problems, it goes back to the distance to the screen, how bright, how big the text is. If you have trouble seeing the screen at a good distance, you should definitely have your eyes checked. I would say anyone working in the industry should have regular eye exams at least every other year. Because as we age, our vision does change slightly. Right. Well, my, for instance, I, uh, macular degeneration runs in my family. And my grandmother used to paint. We've got several of her paintings here in the house. And she's blind now. She can't do it anymore. Um, and that was because, well, partially it was because she had a form of it that really couldn't couldn't be treated. She also has, apparently she's got two forms of macular degeneration or it's switched. I'm not exactly sure what's going on there, but the kind she has now is treatable, but she's already basically legally blind. It's, it's a bit too late. So definitely the, uh, the eye exams are very important. You, you got to realize that's, that's your input source as a developer and your hands are your output source. Your, your back is the platform that you're sitting on. If any of those things are broken, you're going to have problems. It's actually a really good analogy there. I like that. Yeah, and then you got to, of course, you got to have the bladder so that you can turn the, you know, you can get rid of the caffeine, right? But you shouldn't be drinking as much caffeine. I already stated that, though. Yeah. So uh, the last one we had on the list is a, a bit more of a scary, more pathological thing that doesn't happen as often as these others, but when it does, it's extremely destructive. Uh, it's frequently fatal. I guess diabetes is as well if you're if it's untreated, but this is one of these things that creates an emergency uh, situation, and that is DVT, which is deep vein thrombosis. You'll occasionally hear about it uh, with air travelers, people that have sat down for too long, and I've read up on this a little bit, but... Well, this is one that hits kind of close to home. I, uh, talking about air travel, a few years ago when I was in school, I went on a trip for a medical mission down to central Mexico with a couple of doctors and a group of high school students. One of the girls, I think she was 18 or 19 years old, We the trip we flew across the country and then... When we arrived in California, we drove down. We didn't really get much of a break between the flying and the driving, so there's a lot of just sitting for hours and hours and hours on end. Well, the night after we got there, about 2 or 3 in the morning, she came to one of the doctor's rooms and knocked on his door because her leg had swollen up to about twice its normal size, and she had a serious DVT. And they had to, to take her back up to a hospital in California. Wow, it's pretty scary. So how do you avoid that one? Okay. This is mainly a concern for older men and women who are on birth control. So for guys like myself and Will, this isn't a big issue right now. 
what a DVT is or deep vein thrombosis, it's it's a blood clot that is in the veins, usually in the leg, from lack of movement. The way that the venous system works is the blood is pumped through one-way valves and the pump is the muscles. So moving around pumps that blood. If you're not moving around, it just sits there and pools. And when it pools, it causes clots. The clot itself in the leg is not the biggest concern. Yes, it can block blood flow and cause a lot of problems in the legs, but the biggest concern is that it will break loose and it can travel to the heart and cause a heart attack. It can travel to the lungs and cause pulmonary thrombosis. It could cause a stroke if it gets to the brain. Lots of really bad things can happen. It's one of the good things that this is very rare, but it is something that's caused by sitting and not moving. So if you get really into it, I know I've done this myself where I get so into it, I will go five or six hours without moving from my seat because I'm really focused on the work that I'm doing. Again, getting up and walking around will help with this. Even if you're just sitting there bouncing your legs around, if you're kind of a twitchy person, that helps. Worked with a few of those. That does help to, it moves the blood around in your legs. It causes that pumping action in the veins and keeps the blood from collecting. Okay, pretty good. So this is uh, potential health issues that uh, developers need to be aware of and attempt to avoid. I hope we've kind of covered this well enough here. So, Will, what do you have for us for Tricks of the Trade this week? Well, I've got a, uh, got a tool that will help you working with JSON data. And you can find it at jsonformatter.curiousconcept.com. Basically what this tool is, is it will allow you to put a chunk of JSON text in and tell it to process, and it'll clean it up and put spaces and all that so you can actually see what's going on. Typically, JSON, that's JavaScript Object Notation, J-S-O-N, JSON data tends to get compressed so they get rid of extra spaces, line breaks, all the stuff that makes it actually human readable. That when it tends to go over a wire, they tend to get rid of it. So if you're working on an app and you get a, a dump of JSON data back, and for instance, let's say it uh, it can't deserialize or there's you know there's something wrong in there and you, you don't quite know what it is, you can go to this site and dump that in there and hit process and it'll clean it up for you. I would recommend not doing this with anything that's got HIPAA information or anything like that. Like don't do anything with, um, with data that you can get sued over. But it's uh, it's a pretty handy little tool. So again, that's JSON Formatter. That's J S O N. dot curiousconcept. dot com. And we'll include a link to that in the show notes. If you have a question or comment for us, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast. dot com. Our theme music is an excerpt from "Stand By for Titanfall" by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed under Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is "OMFG Hello" by Argo Fox, and is also licensed under Creative Commons and available on SoundCloud. For references, show notes, and to sign up to our email list, be sure and check out the website at www.completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time.